Hello, this is Keith James, writer and host of Gus Bibluitz, Basketball Legend. If you like this show, you will love my new book, Greg Maxwell's Inferno, coming out August 10th, 2021, through Humorous Books in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. Follow me or Humorous Books on Instagram or Twitter to get more updates on the book. I'll also be putting up Chapter 1 on this feed, so keep your eyes peeled, my little bad boys. And as always, like, subscribe, follow, and tell your friends. I'm your host, author, uh, Keith James. Sorry it's been so long. Um, just some big things in my life. Uh, house, uh, found out we're having a baby. So just been kind of navigating that. Um, so what we have uh, this episode coming up is the season finale, season one of Gus Bibliowitz. Uh Really excited about it. Really excited to... to wrap up this first season um so the last episode that we had was uh gus and his team won their first big game with Corey, and uh they're ready to head out on the road all right so there you go set the scene without further ado here's gus biblowitz I'm not cracking a bottle of hypnotic over my head at some late-night buffet-slash-massage parlor. I'm spending the night celebrating our big win in a different way. I'm sitting in a small circle inside my son's living room. The circle is me, computer, the unnamed one, and Corey. Between us is a small plastic toy. The toy has a screen on it, and on the screen is a single word... I'm trying to get my family to guess the word. I can't say the word, though. As much as I want to, I can't. It's against the rules of this dumb game. <laughs> you take any sports writer from the 90s and tell them Gus Biblowitz is spending a night after a win playing a guessing game <laughs> with his children and grandchildren. Then tell that sports writer I'm sober while I'm doing this. Then tell that sports writer the guessing game isn't where should I dump the other half of this body I split in two because I got too jazzed at the GOP convention. <laughs> Their jaw would drop. But here we are. The game kind of sucks because no one understands my clues. And when it's someone else's turn to get us to guess, I can't keep focus. But everyone's smiling and not ready for this family to become dysfunctional, so I keep going. The unnamed one finds it funny when I fail. When he gets someone to guess his word correctly, he lifts up his shirt and slaps his little six-pack. Every once in a while, he will look at me and say, We will fight someday. Out of respect, I nod. The kid has earned the right to drop me on the battlefield. Eventually, 
I just have to end this game. So I do it how I end most games. I put whatever the game involves under my butt, and I sit until it breaks. And then we literally can't play the game anymore. It works. It's effective. Doesn't make me any friends, but this is family. They're not your friends. Corey reads the room correctly and grabs his kids and puts them to bed. Can Grandpa tell us a story? Computer asks. I know I'm going to have a hard time getting out of this one. So I go to the little bookcase in their bedroom and quickly try to find the skinniest book with the biggest words. I settle on a pamphlet about why it's important to make timely donations to the Israeli Defense Fund. I fold open the pamphlet, but computer stops me. No, Grandpa. From your mind. He points a little fat finger to his temple and closes his eyes. Corey and I both look concerned at each other. Him more curious. I never told Corey stories as a child. I used to leave a TV on in his room and spray it with cologne as a substitute for me not wanting to engage with him. Oh, I'm trying to make computer and really everyone else cry less these days. So, I slowly walk to the edge of his bed and sit down. I have one story that I feel like is very appropriate for bedtime. Okay, computer. I'm going to tell you a story about a beautiful princess named Rick Fox. Rick Fox was a little girl who played for the Boston Celtics. She was very pretty. Every night before the game, all the other little girls on the Celtics would put flowers in Rick Fox's hair and put him in the most beautiful green dresses. But one day... The beautiful princess ran into a big, mean dragon in the parking lot outside of Raptor's Arena. The princess parked her car right behind the dragon's car so the dragon couldn't back out. Totally dick move. The dragon was stuck. The princess told the dragon it might be good to walk home as the dragon might need some exercise. This made the dragon very mad. One could argue... This was the comment that made the dragon develop an eating disorder. The dragon got so mad, it started to breathe fire. The fire grew arms and threw the princess on the ground in front of his her the princess's wife. The fire then grabbed the princess's keys out of her pocket. The dragon threw the princess in the trunk of her own car. Then, the dragon pulled out a wad of $100 bills and threw them towards the princess's wife and said, you better run away because I'm about to do some dragon shit. The dragon then hopped into the princess's car and turned on the engine. The dragon drove very, very far, with the princess in the trunk. So far that at one point, the dragon was very lost and scared and hungry. What am I going to eat, said the dragon. 
The dragon looked very hard for two whole minutes. The dragon needed to eat, and soon. I know, said the dragon. I'll have one bite of the princess. But what part? The dragon opened the trunk and looked at the princess. Well, said the dragon, I'm not going to eat the parts covered in poo-poo or pee-pee. That would be gross. The dragon noticed the princess was wearing shoes that covered her dainty feet. I know, said the dragon. I'll eat Rick Fox's feet. So the dragon built a fire and cooked the princess's feet. And honestly, it was a very solid meal. It was like eating ribs, but smaller, like if chicken nuggets had bones. How am I going to play basketball again, said the princess, and the dragon laughed. You barely played basketball before, you stupid fuck. You played basketball like you parked cars. And the dragon drove off in Rick Fox's car, and everything kind of went hazy for the next couple of years. The end. Computer's eyes are shut super tight so I know he's very asleep. I wander around Computer's room and check to see if he has any candy hidden. But behind every hiding spot I could find is a very small Bible. Upsetting. Concerning. I head down the stairs and head towards the kitchen. I see a light outside. I go towards the light. Corey is sitting outside, staring at a dark backyard. The activity bums me out, but I have nothing better to do. No birds, scooters in this gated community. Also, I ran out of text messages for this month, so I wouldn't even be able to ask for a ride. I'm stuck here. So, I head outside. Corey doesn't look at me when I sit next to him. We look at nothing. Computer is asleep now. He got a pretty great story. I think I've imprinted on him. I don't know where the other one is. He sleeps outside. He's probably foraging right now. Corey and I don't say much. I know Corey wants to say something, but he can't. I don't say anything because I don't want to help him form his thoughts. I've learned that his thoughts are hurtful to me. Finally... He finds the words. I feel I would be a nicer person to be around if you were around for me when I was younger. Oof. Okay. I can tell what kind of conversation this is going to be. I pull my Mitt Romney 2012 presidential campaign game out. I reach for a napkin and quietly take notes. I smile every once in a while as if to say, No, go ahead, keep talking. But when you're done, I'm going to make a coherent point that you will have to listen to because it is my scheduled time to speak, baby. I, I know I'm mean to you. I know I can be unpleasant with the team, but I think 
this was all something I learned in order to survive. You know, living with you. <laughs> okay. I'm still smiling, jotting down notes. I wait for him to completely stop speaking before I launch my attack. I wait for my pause. It happens. I speak. I know your mother didn't tell you this because she was dead, but you weren't fun to be around. <laughs> I bet Corey has seen a million people get shot right on the chest plate of their bulletproof vest and shit themselves on impact, but <laughs> a truth bomb from Gus Biblowitz will have you searching for a whole other type of PTSD support group. I mean... Do you remember what you were like as a baby? Corey scrunches up his face. Oh, <laughs> exactly. I remember. I remember watching you in your crib thinking, what's the so what with this kid? Why are we here? What is he doing that no other kid is doing? Corey, there's a bit of spectacle that comes with love. If it's not there, love is not there. Sons are meant to impress their fathers, and you didn't. Corey isn't even looking at me right now. His ass is getting whooped so bad. <laughs> He's probably bummed that he didn't seize the opportunity to impress me as a child, and he's learning that now. I slap him on the shoulder. More on the neck, but... It was supposed to be for the shoulder. You didn't impress me then, Corey. But you impressed me tonight. You played a man's game. And I guess by saying that, I've made myself clear on my feelings towards you. There's a little pause between us. He wants me to say the words, but I can't. It's only been one game. Love needs room to grow. It needs at least three games. He sighs. Hey. Corey says. You left this in the locker. I picked it up before I locked up. He lifts a gold necklace by the chain. The heartbeat on the end of it gets louder as it gets closer to my face. I put the necklace over my head quickly. My heartbeat syncopates with Ken Caminetti's. I feel me again. Us. I feel a million miles away from loving my son or anything that shares blood with me. I'm ready to hard charge into the first fat girl I meet on MSN Hotmail Chat. I pop out of my chair and head inside, towards the front door. I can't even remember how I got to Corey's house, but if it takes running, I'll sprint for some poon. I guess something was in my way. A loose chair, shoe, maybe one of the kids. But on the way out the door, I dropped like a sack of potatoes. Blacked out. I'm shit-faced. I can barely make out my complexion in a bathroom sink mirror. All I can feel is a thumping from the ground and walls. Tons of people. 
whole horde of people halfway through pulling their dicks out or stuffing them back into their blue jeans. I touch my face. I feel a formidable goatee covered in vomit. I push myself towards the sink faucet and wash my face. Hands are all over me, pulling me, screaming for Ken. When I grab the hands that are touching me, I can hear people get excited. Oh, Caminetti touched me. I'm too drunk to know what this means. People are putting paper in my hands and I'm using them to wipe my face. This upsets people for some reason. Someone hands me a pen. I keep the pen. I keep moving. I make it out of the bathroom. I'm shot out into some tunnel filled with more people. Most people dress in the same colors, orange and blue. The pulsing is deeper. More sounds. Music. I want to get out of the tunnel. I make my way towards a wall. Everything is spinning, but I can push my hands along the wall to guide myself. I'm looking for an opening. As my body drops down a flight of stairs, my head slapping against the concrete, I feel relieved that I'm out of the tunnel. I hear gasps as my body is thrown down the steep incline. But the air feels a little more open, so it's nice. I stop tumbling down the stairs. It takes me a bit to get to my feet because my legs are numb and I am drunk, but I have this unexplainable strength. People clap when I fully stand. Tons of people. Whole fucking bowl of people. I can make out a giant cube in the sky. I look closer at the cube. It's glowing and showing images. The images change from numbers to a person. I move my hands towards the image. The image changes to a man with outstretched hands. I think I'm the man in the image. But the image doesn't look like me. Under the image of me, a name flashes below. Ken Caminetti. I'm still confused. I sit down in a seat occupied by someone, but I'm too drunk and strong to get up. I look at everyone's eyes around me, and they're all looking at the same spot on the ground in the distance. So I look, and huh, it's a basketball court. A game is happening, but the movement is too much. I throw up on the thick groin of a guy whose lap I'm sitting on. He begins punching me in the back of the head. I can't block his punches, so I try to kill him with kindness. I tell him his meat looks thick and my vomit doesn't stand a chance against that hog. <laughs> he continues punching me. I get bored. I decide to look at the bench. I look for the least moving person. I know this person will most likely be white. So I just try to find a white person sitting on the bench. I find him. A big, red-headed fuck. He has the beginning of a receding hairline. He's trying to pull out one of his testicles and get the ref's attention. I only know this because this is something I try to do anytime I get a little in-game rest. It's important to keep your mind sharp and full of laughter. I study his ugly fucking face. I hate this person. 
I clap my hands together and boo at him. The ugly fuck looks straight at me. Wow. Big surprise. This guy's also sensitive. I boo louder. It's only when I see this guy's eyes widen and swell up in tears that I recognize who it is. Everything goes white. I wake up on the cold ground. It smells like metal and shit. I'm bruised on the outside, and my insides feel like I had a fluorescent light break inside my asshole. I look at the wall next to me. Brick. The other two walls. Also brick. No windows. The fourth wall is metal bars. Shit. County jail. I want a lawyer. I want O.J. Simpson's lawyer, I gurgle. A guard in a full bulletproof outfit waddles towards the bars. This is Guantanamo, son. You ain't getting a lawyer. Okay. Not county jail. I only know about Guantanamo because I've had federal prosecutors send assistant coaches here when they talk to me funny. So I guess you could say that I'm amongst friends. <laughs> well, this is it. This is how a career ends. In federal prison. I'm one wet rag away from calling it all quits. In a few weeks, I'll just be some seven-foot fuckhole for a swarm of shooting coaches. Biblowitz, you got yourself a package. Someone must really love you. The bars slide open. Another guard wheels in a comically-sized cake. <laughs> Great. Looks like the boys in here want me to be poisoned. I bet I take one bite of this thing and I am donezo. And thank God, because I just happen to be hungry and suicidal. I crawl towards the cake and get my mouth close to the pink frosting. Beautiful white sugar flowers. I greet death with my mouth. I am promptly punched in the face by a small fist. The fist is an... Enough to push me off my stomach and onto my butt. A small formation of muscle kicks through the cake I wanted to eat and jumps out in front of me. I want to scream its name, but he doesn't have one. This boy is nameless. His cold eyes don't blink. His voice is low, lower than mine computer sent me. You have to escape from Guantanamo Bay. The Sonics need you. There it is. The season finale of Gus Biblowitz Basketball Legend. Uh, thank you to everyone who, um, who listened to this. Uh, it was a huge treat uh, hearing people really like this and support it. Um, and I'm just happy that I get to do these things uh, for all of y'all. And if you like this, please comment, like, review. Hit me up on Twitter at SweetPuppy42. Um, and yeah, have yourself one hell 
of a summer. And we'll get back to this soon enough. All right. Thank you so much.